The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. My name is Grant. I am from Vancouver, Washington. Before we get into the book, I will give you a quick introduction to kind of who I am. My, my family's here and a lot of good friends are here, so thank you, mom and brother and friends, for coming. Um, I really do appreciate that you guys are here. Um, makes, makes it feel like I'm just talking to a bunch of friends, because I am. So, uh, so let's start with the baby pictures, because that's usually where it begins. Actually, we'll start with the family picture. Ah, here's family picture. That's uh, me and my brothers on the left, my mom there. Stepdad and dad didn't make the photo, but that's okay. <laughs> Only had so many photos to use. So it's my mom. She's awesome. My brother is awesome as well, and I love them very much. Okay, baby picture. That is Baby Grant. Yep. It's always a bit of a contest to see which intern is the cutest baby. So we will see who wins. Now, <laughs> as I as I began to grow older, I developed this very strange way of smiling, where instead of smiling, I would tend to bite my upper lip and do something weird. Um, So the photographer would say, smile, and I'd... (laughs) I don't know why it happens. I I tried to grow out of it, but as you can see by the next photo, it didn't happen. (laughs) That's, That's what joy is to me. I'm happy, okay? Uh, I think there might even be one more of that next photo. Yeah. <laughs> the bottom teeth. That's, that's really my pride and joy. And that's my brother. That was right after Men in Black came out. Um, I was Will Smith in the picture. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm wearing a turtleneck. Didn't realize that. Uh, so, but don't worry. Uh, what's the next photo? Wow! <laughs> Three Supermans. <laughs> you thought the world needed saving once. <laughs> well, you got three. So that's me. Um, my cousin Emma, my cousin Jameson, and brother Tori is on the left. Uh, uh, what is the next one? Uh, I had a strange fanaticism with Moses since I was a child. I began, to, I began to dress up as him at the mere age of one. I even got the look. I don't know what kind of food is on my face, but it was delicious, gosh darn it. So, baby Grant Moses, that's where all the inspiration comes from. And I think by the, t- <laughs> by the time I got to high school, I was hip and ready to rock with the popped collar and the aviators and the hair with gel in it, but you can't tell. It's just supposed to look cool. Um, huh. That was before selfies were even a thing. I don't know who... I think, Mom, were you taking that picture? <laughs> well done, high school grant. Okay, well, um, yeah, like I said, I, I grew up in Vancouver. Came to the UW in 2009. Went to Prairie High School. Came to UW. There, I joined a fraternity, Theta Xi fraternity. Some of the bros are here. Thank you guys for showing up. Uh, front row, I love this. Mm. Um, studied psychology, did the sales certificate program there. 
as well. And then I applied for this internship, and the Lord had it in the plan that I would continue to do this. So I'm very thankful to be here. Um, So this quarter, we've been looking at how God's story is our story. And tonight, we're going to finish off that series because the the final inn is the Christmas inn, which you should all go to. So this will be... This will be the sermon that kind of ties it all together. Um, before we get into it, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to come up here and uh, speak for us to learn more about who you are, Jesus, and um, to make friends, hopefully leave with a new friend, and just pursue this this interesting truth that you've given us, um, this truth that changes everything. So open our ears, use my mouth. <laughs> um, you'll bless everything that goes on tonight and may be glorified. Amen. So let's start with a question, a mingle question. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and answer this? When you grow up and you have a family of your own or a home of your own, Describe in however many words to the person next to you what that looks like. What are some words you can use to describe this? Home. All right. Sounds like you got some good words in there. Let's bring it back in. Hold on to those thoughts as we continue to go through tonight. So let's go through a little bit of a recap of the quarter. We've been following the Israelites as they go through Israel. Uh, We started with Abraham, this one guy, and God made a covenant promise with him saying that you will birth a nation, a Nathan a nation, Nathan, <laughs> Nathan, a nation of Israel that will be my people, and I will never leave you guys. That is that is the covenant promise. You will bless all nations through your nation. So you have Abraham. Then you have Moses, personal favorite, and God gave the law to Moses, and you know he wrote it on the tablets and all that. So there's this law that now tells God's people how they can be God's people. If, you, if you're going to be my people, you need to live in a certain way that is righteous and upholding of my values. And Moses gave the law to the people of Israel. Uh, and then they kind of failed at it. They didn't do a very good job, as I think many of us can say that that resonates with us. We don't always follow the rules perfectly. It, it was a struggle for Israel to be the people of God. I mean, it's, it's pretty high standard, for one thing. But even in the midst of not living up to that, God was faithful, and he brought them out of exile. They were in slavery in Egypt. So Moses gave the law 
There's, they're struggling with the law, but still God uses Moses. Parts the Red Seas. You know, there's fish flying everywhere. And then they run through the seas. And then they collapse on the chariots of the Egyptians. And they make it out. So they make it out of slavery in Egypt. God is faithful. Thank goodness. Now they come into the wilderness. God had promised this land that he was taking them to. And they're just kind of wandering around in this desert. And they start complaining once again, they don't really trust God. They say things like, oh, it was better when we were back in Egypt. We had food and stuff, and now we're just wandering around. And even in the midst of not trusting him, God provides food for them. And eventually, they make it to this place God had promised them. And then, sure enough, that leads right up into last week where Ryan talks about the Israelites being captive by the Babylonians, and we heard about Daniel and the story and the lions and all that good stuff. It was wonderful. God leads Daniel out of danger there. And all this while, there had been a prophecy that was spoken that someday God himself would come and make all the wrong things right. The Israelites could not live into this call to be God's people in tip-top shape. They, they kept messing up. Uh, but one day, the, the prophets spoke that God himself would come and judge the right from the wrong and bring judgment. And Israel's enemies would be smited and we'd, we'd finally be at home with our God because we are his people of Israel. This is what the prophecy told. So tonight we continue the story, how God's story is our story, and it takes us into the Old Testament text of Ezra and Nehemiah. So as history would have it, the empire of Babylon was soon taken over by the empire of Persia. And as this happened, all the lands and all the peoples that Babylon controlled were taken over by Persia as well. And so something really cool happens. Let's look at the first text here in Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so he's this king of this new empire that's ruling over pretty much the whole Middle East. In order to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken by Jeremiah, a prophet, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. So God's moving in the heart of this king. And this is what the king writes. This is a king, a Persian king, not a Jew, doesn't really know anything about Yahweh. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem. Any of his people among you, the Israelites, uh, may God be with them and let them go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with the silver and gold, with goods and livestock, give them free things, and with the free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Kind of weird. <laughs> you have this Persian king, and God moves in his heart, and all of a sudden he's commanding that the temple be rebuilt. We need to worship the God of Israel. This guy believes. It's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, he's the king of the largest empire in the world. And God moves in his heart so that he orders this. So, good one, God. <laughs> nice. 
Now, the invitation they were given to rebuild the temple is truly an invitation for the Israelites to come home. And this is because for the Israelites, in that time, the temple was the place where the presence of God was to dwell. And so all this time, they're in exile, and they don't have this, this temple. It was the centerpiece of Jerusalem, and it established Jerusalem as the place of God's dwelling. So it's a pretty big deal. You, you get this sense as you're reading through these two books that it's just like party, like insane. Like we're coming home, we're building the temple. I'm sure the kids were like, <laughs> we like come home, we have to like build stuff. That sounds pretty lame, but it wasn't. It was exciting. And, and so they come home, they're building the temple. And as we see in the next text, Ezra chapter three, verses 11, you get a sense of what they're talking about. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. So there's clearly excitement here. It's the next verse that is really interesting to me. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while the others shouted for joy. So there's a but. Um. <laughs> uh, there is a but. There's always a but. Uh, you have these, these older people who knew what it used to be come back after exile 70 years later, and they're weeping because it's not what it used to be. And, and I understand, like, old people, like, getting upset that youngins are, like, doing things they don't like. Like, oh, you and your Twitter and your Facebook and your wrecking ball and your selfies, like, <laughs> Robin Thicke. Uh, I get it. I get the frustrations. As, I, I mean, I have six grandkids. I, I get it, you know. It's a lie. But someday, I will love it. Uh, so, so I understand the frustration with, with not liking the way things are being done, and you liked it better this way. But to use the term weeping aloud kind of indicates something a little bit different. It's not just that, that we're frustrated. It's that we're sad. Um, they've seen this before. Uh, I, I mean, they were in his, uh, exile for 70 years. But before that, they were in exile and before that, they were in exile. In fact, Janie, who is so wise, has told me that for only about 100 years, the Israelites were absolutely free from captivity or exile or the imminent threat of being in war. 100 years, and they've been a nation for, I don't know how old this, thousands of years. And so maybe that's what these old people were thinking. When would the day finally come when what has been prophesied, God coming and making things right, when will, that, when will that day get here? When will God come down himself to judge our enemies so that we can't have this false hope of our temple being built when in the back of our minds we see our history and we know that it's just kind of hard to believe that, that this will last? When will we be rescued forever? So in their old age, coming home just isn't the same for these older folks as it was in the days of their youth. Um, and there's weeping, there's sorrow, and 
well, I guess that makes sense to me. <laughs> I feel that too sometimes. And I think we all kind of feel that sense of like, I want to go home and I, I, I do go home, but it's just not the same. Like life never feels like you wake up in the morning and you're like, yes, this is, uh, life is just how it's supposed to be all the time. And I don't have to do anything and I don't have to be anybody else. And it's just perfect. Like, that never happens. Like, <laughs> I always wake up and I'm like, oh, man, I gotta take a shower and I'm not clean enough. And I got to brush my teeth because they're not clean enough. And then I got to, you know, build my resume and get the job. You got the job and all that stuff. Uh, why can't that just be gone, you know? Uh, I, I do enjoy showers. They're good. Um, <laughs> I, I remember, well, let me start. I... I guess all that to say, I usually don't like reading the Old Testament because it just seems dusty and like you have to like brush it off and like, you know, like interpret it before it makes any sense. But but I really started to like it because I get what these people are feeling. Like this whole story of the Israelites is just like this longing for things to be right. And, and I totally understand that. Even these old people, though I'm not old, uh, I get it, you know. I remember when I was a student here at UW, and I went home for my first winter break. In my mind, I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, this is going to be great. And head back to the Couve, am I right? And go see my pals, maybe hit up the Burger Bell, walk through Fred Meyer just for fun because it's awesome. And, you know, hang out with the Prairie Falcons, maybe some river guys in there. And it'll just be like, just like old times, you know? I'll go like teepee stuff, and it'll be great. And all that to say, it wasn't like that. Um, I had this, this sense of, there was a, a new, like, Grant who went off to college and, like, you know, joined a fraternity and w- was taking, like, really, like, sophisticated classes and, and was, like, this new person. And that Grant came crashing into old Grant who was, like, in high school and far too naive for things like college. And, and what I was left with was this feeling that was really kind of, unsettling. It was, it was like I had this old and this new life, and when they came together, they didn't make any sense. And home just didn't really make any sense anymore. Um, so I know some of you might be going home for the first time tomorrow. Maybe some of you are sophomores, juniors, seniors. You, you know this feeling, or maybe it's the exact opposite. You went home for the first time, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. And, and you didn't want to go back here because this didn't feel like home. Like, why can't I, you know, just be with my family? And why can't life go back to the way it was? Maybe you went home and you're just like, man, I don't like it. Or maybe home for you is, is a thought that doesn't bring any, any positive emotions. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we can all say that <clears throat> home isn't perfect and that our homes are broken and families are broken. And... I guess I have to ask, if that is the case, why can we still imagine home as if it were po- perfect? Why, why can I still think of like, oh, I just wish home was like this? Maybe those sentiments you shared with your partner about, I, I want my home to be like this someday. I want it to be comfortable and peaceful. Why can we imagine that when it's not always how home is? In a case for, uh, <clears throat> a case for the Christian faith, former atheist C.S. Lewis after finding Jesus, asks if you were really a product of a materialistic universe, a product 
of an earth comprised by random chance, how is it that you never feel at home there? It's, it's kind of peculiar. If I was made to be here, why don't I feel at home here? Where is that place of home that is a place of peace and safety and protection, a place that deep in my heart I know must exist, where I'm never lonely and I'm always good enough and I'm free? This place where there's laughter and there's dancing and there's joy and there's beauty. This is the kind of home I want to raise my children in, but for whatever reason, no matter how hard I try, I cannot make this home a reality for myself. And so I feel what the Israelites are feeling. This home we can all imagine seems just out of reach. Uh, one of my friends here, uh, Maddie, on student leadership, and I were talking about this sense of like longing for home. Like, why can't you ever just get there? And it was, and we were talking about how it's like a Twinkie that is hanging from a string right in front of your face. And you're like chasing it. And you're like, you're going everywhere. Like, you, you get led into like weird, awkward situations. Like, well, I'm just trying to go home. Like, you know, just trying to find where there's peace in my life. And then even when you get to the Twinkie and you sink your teeth into it, it is chiefly dissatisfying because it's a Twinkie. I don't even sure if it's food. It's like, nobody can tell what it is. It's probably partially hydrogenized, whatever that means. And, and it's kind of like that feeling. Like, even when you think you know it's going to bring you peace, you go there and you get there and you're like, God, just ate a Twinkie. Like, there's nothing here. Like, where is the grand feast? Like, where is, like, honey ham? I don't know, whatever you like to eat. And I don't know. I feel like my life is just going around to what I think will be home and finding a Twinkie. <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, I don't like them. <laughs> when I was a student here, I spent my first couple of years really trying to build my identity. Uh, the world seemed to be telling me that if I wanted to be somebody and obtain success, I would have to put together some sort of validating performance record, like a resume. And not just a resume of job skills and experience, but like qualities. Like you, you, you should probably be sociable, like you should have integrity, you should be trustworthy, you should be charismatic, you should be a leader, you should probably be funny. Like, have some sort of talent to, like, show off and set you apart. And if you do all these things, then you can probably get that, that peace, that feeling of home that you're looking for because, because you'll be perfect. Like, you know, everyone will like you, and it'll be great. So do those things, and you'll finally feel at home in your own skin. And so I just tried to do that. Like, you know, <laughs> made a lot of friends and, like, you know, did a lot of cool stuff. Like, hey, did you hear about me? I did this. Like, isn't that really cool? Like, oh, no, it's really cool. Like, you know, what? You, you can probably remember a time, and, and, you know, you try to do it humbly because you have to be humble, too. And it's like, oh, okay, well, uh, yeah. I went on a trip to Argentina. What? Like, you did that? No. What? No. Oh, well, yeah, I did. You know, and it's like, you know, you're going to all these cool places, and you're, you're like, showing people, like, your travel receipts, and at the same time, you're, like, giving speeches or whatever, I don't know, just trying to do all those things, because if you do those things, you will feel at home, at peace, and you finally won't need to do anything else. And so I would say that, you know, by sophomore year, I looked at my validating performance record, and I was like, eh, that's pretty good. I mean, it could obviously be better, but I'm getting there. Someday I'll be 
tip top. And it was late in my sophomore year. I can remember so clearly the first day I felt this feeling. It was like a rush of panic that just fled over me for absolutely no reason. Um, a feeling I had never felt before, and that was what made it more scary. I was like, why, why is this happening? An anxiety with no apparent cause closed into me, and it, and, it, and it seemed to have no apparent end. It just kept going, and my thoughts were racing. I was thinking about all kinds of things like that I didn't even... I don't even know, like, whatever. Like, mine's just racing. And I was so confused. Why was I all of a sudden having these terrible bouts of panic and anxiety and eventually depression? I felt like my brain was broken. I tried asking doctors and eventually went to see a psychiatrist who told me that my state was severe. <laughs> Didn't really help my, my mood. Um, I, I, I looked at my validating performance record that I've been building in my mind, and I didn't see where severe anxiety and depression fit on that and how that was possibly going to get me to a place where I could perform in this world in the way that they want me to, in the way that I think I want to, because I think that'll finally take me home. Some days I thought I was losing my mind. I thought... I would end up in a mental hospital somewhere eventually with, with some kind of you know, uncurable mental disease. When I would have the courage to share what I was struggling with with other people, they would ask me, well, why are you so anxious? I mean, it sounds like you're really struggling with this. I don't know. Like, I don't know. It just happened. I was never like this. I was calm, and I was... I was, I was chill, like, you know, and now I can't function. I would go in my room and cry for no reason. I found myself asking, how can I possibly be the person I want to be when the person that I am breaks down in his room and calls his mom crying, just trying to figure out why on earth this is happening to him and telling his mom that he's scared to take the medicine that the doctors say would help it go away. And I knew that this isn't what home is supposed to feel like. And I'll never get there in this state. I still know why this happened to me. I mean, I guess fate. But I do know that those days were dark and I desperately longed for home. This home of comfort and peace that in those moments I didn't think existed. And I started to open up this book, and I, I, I connected with uh, a man, it, I think they think it was Jeremiah, who wrote the book of Lamentations, and he describes something so vivid, and I was like, that is it, that is what I'm feeling. He says things like, he's talking about God. I'm the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He says things like, like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path, mangled me, and left me without help. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of everybody. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He walled me up so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say, my splendor is gone, and gone is all that I've hoped for from the Lord. 
<laughs> they put this in the Bible? Like, <laughs> doesn't sound very stoked about God. Uh, but I got it. I was like, that, that is exactly what I'm feeling. I got to keep reading, right? And I started to think, first of all, why, why is this guy in a state? Do I really think, does he really think that God is doing this to him? I don't know. Chances are God's not doing this to him. Chances are he had something happen to him like it has happened to me. And you start looking for someone to blame. But the fact of the matter is, is that the world's broken. But then something happens and he remembers, yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And he remembers that there's truth, that there is something he can believe in. That whatever lies are going through his head, he can't believe those. That's not truth, but there is truth that God loves him with a love that is new every single morning and it will never go away. And so I said, this is peculiar. How can I be more like this man? So... We're going to fast forward a few hundred years in the timeline here. We get to a scene where Jesus is at a well with a woman. It's a Jewish rabbi. And we'll, we'll go ahead and throw the, throw the text up there. So woman's sitting at the well. They're chatting. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This woman was a Samaritan. Samaria was a different place from Jerusalem, but they, they had a similar kind of, of faith as the Jews. So she was asking him, where, where do we worship? Are we supposed to go to Jerusalem? Because Jews and Samaritans don't really get along. I don't really want to go there. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us this Messiah who was prophesied about, this Messiah who would come and make everything right. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Live in water, right? <laughs> yes, he is. And so I look at this, and we look at the passage we read from Ezra where, where they are so excited to build this temple because it's where the presence of God dwelled. And she's asking about that. Where is home? You, you say God dwells in this temple, but we've always worshipped on this mountain. So what am I supposed to do, Rabbi, great teacher of the Hebrew faith? And he says, believe me, neither. You will worship in the spirit, which will be in you. The prophet said that God would pour his spirit out on his people. That time has come. And you will worship God within you. Home. 
is within you. So this Jesus is telling me that all this time I've been looking for home on my performance record, it's really been in God. And God has been in me. So home has been with me, in me, this whole time. Amen, Noel. I can't tell you that I figured out all the answers. I didn't find some magical cure for my anxiety and my depression. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I still struggle with it. But what I can tell you is that I kept running towards this Jesus and I will never stop. And I already thought I was a Christian. Like, I thought I had all this stuff together and I was doing everything right. And I'm like, oh, yeah, be a Christian. Like, write that down. Like, <laughs> people like that. But obviously, I was missing something. Like, and that something has been found. This Jesus told me that the place I worship God is in me. He told me that God made me, created me from the dust of the earth, not so that I could achieve some grand purpose to impress him or my friends. He created me from the dust of the earth for one purpose, and that's to be with him and to love him and let him love me because that's what we're made for. See, I always thought I had some, to achieve some purpose to be the best person I could be, have the most influence that I possibly could and change the world. This guy changed the world And he's changing me. Those pressures of having to change the world just weighed me down to the point where my mind was just going to burst. And now I know without a doubt that my purpose is to be at home with my creator and his son, Jesus, who came to make that dream of living with him a reality. I was made to be at home where his love and mine can weave together like strands of the finest silk and where our joy can dance like groomsmen at a wedding and in the morning there's no cares, just another day to be at home with your father and to enjoy it with him because you are the apple of his eye. Because he took what's wrong with me and gave me what's right with him. He says, this life that I lived that was perfect and your life that you're living that's not you have mine. And that is a powerful message. If I want to change the world, I live his life. He lives it through me. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a story in Luke where, where Jesus is on the cross, and there's two men beside him. And this will be the last kind of finisher-upper of the night. But me and my brother love talking about this story because it just touches us really deep. And I just want to share it with you guys because yeah, I think it's really powerful. And, and you may have heard me tell this before. So Jesus is on the cross, um, and there's two men hanging beside him. And these men, it, they, they know this, this Jesus guy. He's a pretty popular guy back in the day. And, you know, he's just getting insults hurled at him, and he's bloodied up and beaten. And the one man on his left says, hey, if you're really the Messiah, the king of the Jews, who's come to set everything right, get down from this cross and save us too. 
And the other man looks at the, the other prisoner and he's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, we deserve to be here. Like, we're criminals. We deserve this, but this Jesus hasn't done anything wrong. And he looks at Jesus and he just says, Lord, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, just remember me. Just remember me. He didn't, he didn't do a bunch of good things and he didn't say a sinner's prayer and he didn't journal every day. And, and not that those things are bad, but, but their only purpose is to bring you closer to this man in the middle on the cross. And Jesus looks at him and he says, today, you're coming with me. I will see you in paradise where you will be with me. And I used to think home was a mythical place that could never reach me. This Jesus told me that home is a place that cannot be taken from me. Will you follow him into paradise? Will you follow him home? Because it sure sounds nice to me, and it's ready for us right now. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you for everyone that's here, and um, thank you for this message and this really, really good news that uh, the home that we've been searching for and that has always been out of reach is now with us forever because of you, because you are our home, Jesus, and if we're going to leave this place with anything in mind, it's that. You are home, and you are always with us. Thank you that you've given us your life. May we surrender whatever we're trying to do to make ourselves better and let you live your life through us, Jesus. Thank you, and we love you very much. Amen.